Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Indianapolis, AFC South, Stampede Blue, let's air it out, fly route, let's air it out, topics, loaded like offense, co-centric, talk about it often, Stampede Blue, let's air it out, fly route, let's air it out, do it big, like lines for an offense. Welcome back to the Stampede Blue Podcast channel, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host tonight, Matt Dainley. Uh, we've got a little bit of a mashup here between the Colts cast and Horseshoes with Holder. Stephen Holder is joining us on the line. Stephen, what's up, man? I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me. How are things? Good, good. Very good. Uh, thank you for coming on the show tonight or joining me on our show tonight, I guess. I'm trying to figure out how to exactly uh, illustrate that <laughs> verbally or whatever. Not used to doing that. But uh, uh, Colts this week take on the Dallas Cowboys. Kind of a very, I mean, I mean, in my opinion, it's a very interesting matchup against a couple teams that, uh, you know, kind of have uh, interesting aspects to their defense. Uh, a lot of, you know, not I wouldn't say any similarities necessarily offensively, but it's definitely going to be uh, interesting challenges for each offense. I think against the uh, respective defenses that they're uh, going to be going up against. Uh, first and foremost, let's kind of get this out of the way before we go any further. Uh, interesting on the Colts side of things with the injury report. What what did you see down there uh, in Lua or in the way of heading into this Week 15 matchup with the Cowboys? Well, I think there's some good news with Ryan Kelly. I mean, we're we're recording this on Thursday evening, but uh, he's been limited the past two days, but he's been out there. I, I have a good feeling about Ryan Kelly. Uh, he's got a little bit of a, a bounce in his step this week when I talked to him, and I saw a lot of positivity. So I, I think he's going to play. Uh, the guy that's, that's always a mystery sometimes is T.Y. Hilton. He's missed a couple practices now. And he, he left the game the other day briefly with the ankle. And, you know, there's certainly cause for concern. Mm-hmm. But the other the other side of that coin is what have we learned about T.Y. Hilton, okay? <laughs> when the guy's banged up and we sit here and we're like, man, you know, maybe, maybe he won't play. This might be the week. And what does he do? He goes out and he does what he did last week. He goes for 199 in Houston. You know, he was questionable on the injury report last week. Okay, questionable. Mm-hmm. And the guy has damn near a career game. So, P.Y. has a habit of that. He's he's pound for pound. He's as tough as they come in the NFL. Now, there's not a lot of pounds there, but as, but as he can only give you what he can. And the guy shows up every week. That's the bottom line. So, I've learned my lesson with T.Y., and it's basically to, to always assume he's going to play unless you know differently. The other thing I'd mentioned, though, is uh, I do uh, worry about Mark Lewinsky. Haven't seen or heard much about him this week, 
And uh, they've been looking at Joe Haig in there as a possible replacement at right guard. So uh, I would prepare for that possibility. That may be a little bit of a shakeup, especially with the running game trying to get going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it says that he's been battling an ankle injury. And it says that they they seem to be pretty – you know, regardless of what direction they go there, right guard, it seems like they're they're pretty confident in the options that they've got at least. Um, but uh, you know what? It, it's it's strange to sit here and say in week 15, uh, after we didn't even expect this guy to probably ever step on the field, that, you know, the Colts might be, you know, at a disadvantage without Mark Glowinski on the field. I mean, I can't even believe that that just came out of my mouth, but he, he's been had a hell of a year. Yeah, you know what's interesting about Glowinski is, it just kind of happened. It was like they needed him to play one week. They put him out there, and then it was like, oh, wait, he can play. <laughs> and it just kind of happened. Like, I mean, it was like it, we went from saying, oh, my God, they're going to have to play Mark Lewinsky to, oh, my God, Mark Lewinsky is a free agent at the end of the year. Did you know that? Mm. It's like – and by the way, the nice segue to something that I, I think we've kind of put on the back burner, and it probably should be, but – but before long, they're going to have to kind of cope with that reality that Mark Lewinsky will be a free agent. That's kind of a sort of under-the-radar story in this coming offseason. That's something to think about. I think the Colts can lock him up. I think they should lock him up. But at least certainly for at least a short-term deal of some kind, if they're not you know sold on, on maybe a, a very long-term deal, but they need to find a way to get him back on this roster and, and have some continuity with this offensive line because he's been a part of it. There's no question about it. I don't think we should sell him short. Right. I agree. Uh, kind of the, just kind of wrapping up the the rest of the, uh, the injury report, at least for Thursday here. Uh, Mike Mitchell was the other one who did not practice today along with Glowinski and Hilton. Uh, Mo Alley Cox at tight end, you know, he had, was limited apparently with his calf injury, which is kind of interesting now that we have Eric Swope no longer on the Colts roster and he was picked up. Uh, the other day, who picked him up? Now my mind totally went blank. The Saints. The Saints. That's Saints right. That's yeah. right. I don't know why I was. I think I was thinking of Daryl Daniels for some reason. The Seattle Seahawks came to my brain, but uh, yeah. So the Saints have him now. That doesn't look to be. You know, he's not going to be a guy that's going to be traveling back and forth now between the rosters. But Clayton Gathers was also limited with his knee issue. Malik Hooker with his hip. Uh, Marcus Hunt. Ryan Kelly, as you mentioned, and Sky Moore with his neck injury. But Dontrell Inman was back in the lineup. What do you think that spells, if anything, uh, for uh, Darius Fountain? Well, probably not the greatest news for Darius Fountain, but but we'll see. I will say this for Frank Reich. I mean, he does have uh, a unique ability to, to get a lot of guys involved, and They've played a lot of receivers, you know, even on a week-to-week basis. Even weeks when they've had like three or four tight ends up and active for a game, they've still managed you know, to get a number of receivers on the field. I mean, there's there are times when you know they've played T.Y. Hilton, uh, Chester Rogers, Inman, uh, Ryan Grant. You know, they've uh, Zach Pascal. I mean, they've played five receivers mm-hmm. some days, so they've gotten a lot of guys involved and. I don't think there's any reason that would not continue. So I, I still think it's it's possible Darius gets involved. The one thing the Colts do is they have certain personnel groupings that they like, and they they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no uh, guarantee, I guess, that that he would not be a part of one of those 
in the weeks to come. Is it likely? Well, we'll see, but but certainly possible. So I, I think there's still a chance that Fountain gets involved here going forward. If nothing else, I think it's good for him to get this opportunity to be on the active roster, travel, go on the road, uh, be part of pregame, you know, all that stuff, even, you know, running down and covering a kick or two. Uh, it, it really does, uh, I think serve as an icebreaker for him and, and at least sets the table for next year. So these reps are important, whatever, wherever they come, however yeah. few they are, they're important for Reese Fountain. Absolutely. And like you mentioned, uh, you know, it kind of, you know, bodes well for him getting into next year. You know, obviously it's too quick to really discern anything about next year, but you know, they love it. They love his talent. They love his upside and you've got to hope. And they've been kind of chatting him up about his growth, you know, throughout the year. So you kind of makes you feel like he's a guy who, you know, is pretty strong consideration for a roster spot next year, uh, especially as a second-year player. But, you know, when you've got that kind of talent, you hope that he can kind of mold himself into kind of the complete player, I guess, at least to be, you know, maybe a third, fourth option at the very minimum and, and can still grow throughout the year. So I'm excited to actually see him, you know, participate, I guess you could say, in the game as in getting a, you know, getting a reception, seeing what he can do after the catch, just out of raw ability, if nothing else. And I think that the Colts are probably uh, looking forward to that too. I won't be surprised if he gets some action uh, this week. Although, like you said, I wouldn't expect it necessarily or anything like that, but uh, something kind of to lead into as we, you know, jump out of the injury issues is the Colts now, come into this game in week 15 against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, The Colts put up their only in their last five games. This is only their second 400 yard total yard uh, game last week against Houston. Win that 24, 21 Uh, coming in the Dallas Cowboys. This is going to be a real battle for the Colts offense against this Dallas Cowboys defense who has been pretty impressive uh, overall, I mean, they are, you know, they haven't allowed more than 23 points in their last five games. That's pretty impressive. Just in general, you see that their rushing defense is solid. You see that their pass defense is pretty good. Um, and their but their offense has been a little inconsistent as well. So this is an interesting game for the Colts. I think where you see that, uh, you're going to have Andrew Luck in this offense going up basically a mirror, uh, as far as scheme against, uh, what they see every day in practice. How can they do that with some better playmakers? I mean, we know that the the talent overall on Dallas's defense is better uh, than the the Colts' current talent uh, pool, I guess you could say, in, in terms of uh, throughout the defense. So this is going to be a very interesting game coming into this. And, you know, the Colts, are, are they hot again? And, and, you know, are we thinking or – Or are they going to, you know, fall back into a little bit of what they did against Jacksonville uh, and maybe the first quarter of uh, against the Texans? What do we think? I mean, what's your thought process coming into this? Well, I I think this is a really interesting matchup. I I think the Colts actually that they match up pretty well Mm -hmm. against Dallas. I I think you know, well, first of all, if you look at Dallas's offense. First of all, it's it's constructed very similarly to Houston, and the Colts performed well there. You know, right. I think you know certainly the the wide receiver playmaker, uh, somewhat mobile quarterback, not as mobile as as Watson certainly, but Dak can move around and make plays on the run. And then you've got the running game you got to contend with. So very similar challenge there. And then as you said, the scheme on defense, it's exactly what they run, right? I mean that's really where it was derived from is the Dallas scheme. So. 
I, I think the Colts are going to be well equipped, I think, to go out and attack Dallas. And that's, that's where it's going to be interesting. One thing I'd say is I don't want to make too much of this because I don't think it's necessarily going to decide the game. But Matt Eberflus is an interesting variable here, the Colts' defensive coordinator. He's going to be able to help Frank Reich figure out how to attack that defense. Mm-hmm. And I really think he's going to be a little bit of a weapon for Frank Reich. And Frank Reich said that earlier this week. He said that he had been you know, spending a lot of time consulting with, with Matt Eberflus this week. And, I mean, it's only, it's only wise to try to take advantage of that. And I really do think that is a possible variable in this game. I think it's, it's something that you have to try to take advantage of. Uh, the Cowboys, as, as a lot of experts have said, they're playing more man coverage right now, and that's something the Colts don't do as much of. So that's the difference in their schemes. But, but certainly in the front seven, it's very, very similar. And I just think they, they're going to be well-positioned to figure out how to, how to attack that scheme. Now, whether they execute and all that, well, that's up to the players. But from a, from a you know, game-planning standpoint, I feel like the Colts are in good shape, and they have a chance here to have a little bit of an upper hand, and we'll see. As you said, the, the Cowboys have more talent, but certainly uh, from a game-planning and strategic standpoint, I think the Colts have some advantages. I, I, I agree, and I think I don't think that you'll find too many Colts fans that would say that Matt Everflus has been anything short of really good this year. You know, you don't want to claim great, but he's been really good. And, his, and here's an interesting aspect of, of about what he's done lately. And I think that most even just uh, casual fans will notice this. And I want your take on this, actually. Uh, we saw him dial up the pressure against Tennessee, and it worked. We saw him dial it up again last week against Houston, and it worked. With a running back like Ezekiel Elliott, when they need that pressure to reroute him in the backfield, when they need to get into Dak's chin, all that stuff, do you see them doing that again this week? I think that I do. I think so, and I think with Dak, I think one of the things you want to do is make him make decisions. Mm-hmm. And – and if you if you give him extra time in the pocket, he's savvy enough that he's going to find the open guy. I mean, he's he's got decent pocket presence and, and things of that nature. So if you let him sit back there and get comfortable, he's good enough to to pick you apart. So I don't think they're going to do it a lot. I mean, look, when they do blitz, it's it's only a handful of times right. per game. Uh, they they are statistically they blitz less than any team in the NFL. And it's like by far, not even close. <laughs> right. I checked the numbers. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I've checked the percentages. I mean, there's something like, you know, in the 15% range right now. But the point is, when they, it's, it's more about picking your spots. And that's where Matt Eberflus has been really good. He has that for knowing when to turn up the pressure. I think he has some guys now who have settled into some really interesting roles. Two guys to watch. Kenny Moore, as I think you mentioned, and Darius Leonard also. Those two guys have been kind of the Swiss Army knife type guys for Matt Eberflus. And I like the fact now that they're, they're far enough into the season and far enough into to their first year in this scheme that one of the things Matt Eberflus told me this week was, look, we've, all, we've had all this stuff in the playbook all year long. But one thing we couldn't do was we, we weren't comfortable enough to dial it up yet. Now they are. They're, they're 13 games in, so they're at a point where they feel like, you know what, we're comfortable enough. We can, 
go to some of the other things in our package. And so you're seeing that now. It's not new. They haven't installed anything. <laughs> they, right. they really haven't. They, they did it you know, back in training camp when you and I were standing there on the sideline. Mm-hmm. They did it then, but we're only seeing it now because they feel they have a comfort level uh, in running it now. So uh, I, just, I just think that Matt Eberflus has just gotten uh, – this is not necessarily your question, but one thing to add here is that I feel as though he has gotten so much out of this scheme, uh, so much out of these players, really, is what I should say. I looked at – the starting lineup, for example, from Sunday, last Sunday in Houston, seven of the 11 players were guys who were on this roster last year, yet they were playing for a defense that looked like it was headed nowhere, right? It mm-hmm. looked like it was irredeemable. And yet here we are. Now, they have some huge additions, clearly, right? I mean, Darius Leonard is not a, is not a small addition. You know, Taekwon Lewis, for example, that's, that's a big addition there, right? Right. Uh, there's some guys like that, but... At the same time, the basis of this defense, the, the lion's share of this personnel, are guys who were holdovers from last year and really didn't give them anything. Okay, take, for example, Marcus Hunt. Okay, Marcus Hunt was a non-factor at times last year. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Hunt has had just an incredible season. So what's changed? The scheme has changed. The coaching has changed. There's accountability. There's certainly they're using players in a different fashion. I just think that you know a guy like, for example, Anthony Walker is such a great example. You know, I put this in a story on one of my stories this week on the Athletic, and one one little nugget I threw in there was there was talk from the previous staff, coaching staff, that Anthony Walker wasn't a fit and maybe they should cut him. Hmm. <laughs> okay, thank God, Chris <laughs> Ballard said not no, but hell no, <laughs> and. And now Anthony Walker is one of their biggest playmakers on this defense. So I just think a lot of that is due to, number one, these guys are talented, but it's also a matter of Van Eberflus bringing that talent out of them and putting them in position to succeed. And you're seeing the, the product of that now. Absolutely. And, you know, the Colts have only allowed 100 rushing yards to the Miami Dolphins since the bye week. I mean, nobody else has gotten to 100 yards on them. Uh, another interesting part about this is that the Colts finally – uh, kind of lost that streak through 12 games of forcing a turnover in every single game last week. I don't know. I, th- I think that was a little, you know, one of those streaks that just happened to continue. But at the same time, it was very uh, obvious that this is what this team is built on and, and forcing turnovers and, and being, you know, a, a, a team that is very opportunistic uh, defensively. I, I love what the defense has been able to do, quite honestly. And I think that a lot of fans right now, when you, especially when you look at what they're – I think they're like 3-7 uh, rushing yards per attempt that they're allowing defensively. That is a massive turnaround from what the Colts have done in the past. And I think that all-inclusively, you look at this team defensively and you think, look, there is, there is reason to be optimistic even with some of the areas that need help. But when you look at some of the defensive players like uh, Anthony Walker, like you mentioned, Darius Leonard, obviously, and you look at just kind of Kenny Moore and the way that he's able to kind of fill what, you know, Nate Hairston did last year in terms of being able to come off the edge a little bit there and, and force some pressure, but also be a really good coverage guy, better than Hairston was last year by far. 
Uh, you just have to be confident in this defense going forward. And then you see the complimentary part of that where they, 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 they run next to this offense with Andrew Luck on it, and you have to love their chances now. Uh, coming into the Cowboys here, it, it just it really makes you wonder, can the Colts continue to do all this without their running game? Because right now their running game is the biggest issue, in my opinion, that they have. Now, uh, team, you know, nationally you hear people say, well, they, they haven't been protecting Andrew Luck the past couple games. They gave up a few sacks, you know, two weeks ago. They gave up two last week. I mean, let's not say they're not protecting him. Andrew Luck is dropping back as much as he has been in the past. I'm not worried about five sacks in two games. Now, should that continue to where they earn or lose, you know, or, or I'm sorry, if Andrew Luck were to get sacked another three times this week, yeah, you might say that there's an issue up front somehow, but you see why that is. You know, you know that Ryan Kelly's out. You know that Glowinski has, or was injured, and he may have, you know, Haig step in there or whatever. One way or another, this running game has got to get it figured out, man. I think that people got really excited about those 200-yard-plus uh, games, and you see a couple hundred-yard games from Mac in general, and he just looks soft right now. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, but you know, one, there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, certainly, there's the fact that, it, that it's, it's a product of who they played in part. Mm-hmm. Okay, So Jacksonville and Houston back-to-back. So, okay, as they're not a good team, but uh, when you look at who they have up front, I mean, look, they're going to have days where uh, it's tough sledding. I remember Frank Gore telling me on multiple occasions going into games against Jacksonville, <laughs> Frank Gore, okay, future Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats, he would say with no shame that he hated playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. He said, man, I hate playing these guys more than anybody in the league mm-hmm. just because it was – they were so physical up front. I mean, that's a hell of a compliment from from an all-time great. So that's some context on, on you know the type of competition they faced. Obviously, last week, Houston came in determined not to allow the Colts to run the ball, and that was certainly priority number one for them. I don't know that I agree with that tactic because <laughs> they certainly didn't make it tough on on T.Y. Hilton and the guys on the, on the perimeter. So I'm not exactly sure where they were going with that, but that was certainly their goal. And I thought some days it's just like that. Uh, but, you know, the question then is, can you make them pay? And the Colts did. Mm-hmm. They did not do that against Jacksonville. So so if the Cowboys come up with a similar approach, the question is going to be, can they make them pay? Uh, but you are right. Look, I mean, they're facing – this is going to be, you know, I talked about the string of competition they've been facing. Well, it, it ain't getting easier. Right. Okay. The Cowboys are number one in rushing yards per attempt defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, rushing In terms of rushing defense, they're number one. The biggest test of all. Now, what's interesting here, though, is you're still seeing a consistent and concerted effort by Frank Reich to run the ball. The, the rushing oh. attempts are still there. Now, the the results are not, but the attempts are. Now, why does that matter, and why does he? Why is he so stubborn about it? Because I think you saw earlier in the year Frank Wright get away from the run when it wasn't working, and what happened there is well, first of all, they lost most of those games. Right. <laughs> okay, that's number one. Yep. Number two, he he made his offense a little too predictable. <clears throat> now he still maintains, I think, the mystery by 
continuing to, you know, to be, you know, sort of consistent with the attempts to run the ball. It may only get them two yards, but they're still going to try. And I think that is a really important uh, issue for Frank Wright to do. He's got to be disciplined about that. He's got to maintain uh, at least some mystery for the defense so they can't necessarily uh, tee off and know what's coming. So I think you're going to see him continue to do that uh, and just be consistent with at least his attempts to run the football. But they at some point have to have some success and take some of the heat off of Andrew Luck. Uh, I think they can do that, but this is going to be a, to- a tall order this week. Absolutely. Folks, we're going to take a quick break for our, tif- our tick pick uh, ad, and then we'll be right back with more from Stephen Holder. All right, Colts fans, we have a great deal for you. Let me tell you guys about TickPick, this amazing app to buy tickets to any game, concert, or other event. Are you looking for tickets to this week's game and want to know exactly what you're going to pay for those tickets? I do, and if you do too, then TickPick and their amazing and simple app is right up your alley. The TickPick app is extremely easy to use, and best of all, there are absolutely no surprises at checkout. Listen, you find the game, find the seat you want, and you're all set. Think StubHub without any fees. You get the same tickets, same seller, but absolutely zero fees. You save 10 to 15% on every ticket order. And get this, for our listeners, they're offering you an amazing offer of $15 off any single order over $99 through the end of the season. All you have to do is enter SB Colts as your gift code at checkout. This isn't a sign-up only offer either. They went all in for you guys. Not only do I use TickPick, but I approached them and wanted to get the word out on this company because it was so stinking easy and nobody likes to find the seats they want, then get that smack in the face at checkout of another $35 to $50 in fees being added. I'll never use another ticket app again. It's very user-friendly and you get the same great tickets with lightning quick ticket transfers. Remember, that's TickPick and use the gift code SBCOLTS to save yourself $15 on any order over $99. Go to TickPick and take advantage of this offer to two-day, 100% verified Colts tickets without any fees. All right, folks, we're back. Steven, let's talk about – let's continue on with the the defense here talking about the Cowboys. They forced nine turnovers in their last six games. The Colts have uh, six, I think, in their last six. Their defense is becoming not just opportunistic, but this is becoming a real – you know, confidence builder, I think, for their defense. You mentioned that their rushing yards, uh, they are the best in the league. They've only given up four 100-yard games all year defensively on the ground. So this is a very tall order here. You mentioned earlier, before we uh, got on the show here, you were talking about the Colts and how they continue with Frank Reich running this hurry-up offense and how well that played out last week for them uh, against the Texans. That seems to be Andrew Luck's kind of forte, or not forte, that seems to be his wheelhouse. What I mean, is that something that we can expect to see this week? And if the Colts start turning the ball over, that's going to be detrimental, and that's probably going to switch up the game plan a bit. Yeah, that that's that's always a variable, obviously turnovers, but uh, but but against an opportunistic defense, you know you've got to be you've got to have a heightened sense of alert. So that's something I'm sure they're drilling in practice this week. But in terms of the hurry up, it's an interesting conversation. Look, that was absolutely very effective last week, and it's led to a a lot of questions I've gotten, and I've heard a lot of conversation about this man. Why don't they do that more? And I get it, and I wonder to some extent, too. And, and so I asked that question this week. Frank, what the heck, man? 
Why don't you just do that all the time? Which sounds easy, but there's obviously a you can't. Well, why you have to 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 have at least you know some judicious approach, okay, with the no huddle. Number one, uh, it if you're not successful, obviously if you don't get first downs, your defense is right back on the field, right, and you're you're three and out, and they get two minutes rest and they're back out there, right. So that's not really productive for your defense and that's not what we call complimentary football right i mean right. you know frank wright might be the head coach but he excuse me he might be the the play caller on offense but he's also the head coach he's got to be worried about both sides of the ball so so that's the obvious one that every coach will tell you but what's unique about the colts and and the reason frank reich is is one to kind of pick his spots with the no huddle is this the the fundamental sort of cornerstone of their offense is multiplicity. They want multiple sets, multiple formations, multiple personnel groupings. They want to switch it up. They want to keep you keep you guessing. And one of the ways to keep you guessing is is to trade personnel in and out and run different personnel groupings in and out of the game. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the Colts, you see that all day long. Well, when you get in no huddle you kind of have to roll with the guys you have because the whole idea is to keep the defense from substituting. So it's, it becomes sort of difficult for you to then, you know, be a sort of multiple personnel offense when you're running the no huddle. You're kind of stuck in the personnel you're in. So if you're in a three wide receiver, uh, one tight end set, well, that's what you got, and that's what it is. Right. Now, they still have a lot of success in it, and, and we've seen that. Uh, but one of the things that I think Naheem Hines brought this up this week, he said, you know, now one, one area where they can have success with the no huddle is he says, you know, sometimes they catch the defense in a personnel grouping for them, which is not advantageous for the defense. And so sometimes the Colts have an, have the upper hand. Maybe they're, they're outnumbering, maybe they don't have, you know, the right, uh, personnel group in maybe they, they have them in a nickel and the Colts go with something that counters that well for example just or whatever it might be but basically what they'll do is if they catch the defense off guard in a in a personnel group that the Colts like then they go that's one of the opportunities for them to go no huddle right and say you know what we got them we got an upper hand here we got an advantage let's go no huddle and that that way you maintain that advantage uh, for the rest of that series. So they picked their spots. And and the one thing that you know is that Andrew Luck really does get into a rhythm and he really excels in the no huddle. But but I did want to address that because I, I know it's something when you see them have the kind of success they did, you, you obviously human nature is to ask the question, okay, uh, why aren't we doing this more? And so that's what it is. Uh, but I do think Frank Reich's coming around, and I think he'll look for more opportunities to do no huddle. Yeah, I, I do too. And it, it's interesting when you think about the different matchups that the Colts do see, and that they do uh, feel that it's advantageous or whatever to you know continue a no huddle. Um, I think a little bit of that may have gone away without Eric Swope. Now Swope wasn't a big contributor this year. Uh, Mo Ali Cox has kind of taken his spot you know, as the uh, guy that can stretch the field and, and has some speed and some hands and some leaping ability. But you've got Eric Ebron there who has just had a phenomenal freaking season this year. It has just been amazing to watch. I mean, can the Colts 
continue to do this without Jack Doyle. You know, Ryan Hewitt is literally limited to being a blocker. Uh, I don't think he's caught a pass all year. I mean, can they do that with just two viable tight ends, Stephen? I mean, it it makes me wonder, honestly, if they can do that. Because when you get into, you know, trying to to kind of mismatch with wide receivers only and just one tight end, I think you lose the ability to do that quite a bit. Uh, even, Even when you just feel like, okay, well, we've got, I don't like the way he covers, but this is our personnel. I think that's a real uh, back and forth for Frank Reich to discern between when they get into those positions. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think they, they feel pretty confident about their situation, but there is no question that uh, they, I mean, they have at times on Sundays had four tight ends uh, active for a game, right? Mm, I mean, right. that has been very common for them. Right now, they're pretty much going to be limited to three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mo Ali Cox, I expect him to play this week, and certainly Ebron and, and Hewitt, as you mentioned. But so, first of all, I'll I'll kind of clean up the Eric Swope situation. So here's what I was told: uh, it's not that they don't like Eric Swope. Uh, the problem with Eric Swope is more physical than anything else. He's recovered from his injury, the knee issue. I, well, I don't know if "recovered" is the word, but he was. He was back. He was playing. But apparently they feel as though it's, it's had a big impact and he's lost a step. Now, back to where he was remains to be seen, but he's probably not going to be able to do it in the final three weeks of the season. Now, this has been an ongoing thing for the past year for Eric Swope. He's been dealing with this knee issue, and I think they're starting to wonder if he can be the same guy. It's really unfortunate because they really like Eric Swope. I mean, they didn't enjoy making this decision. This was a pretty tough decision internally mm-hmm. to to waive him this week. Uh, but but Eric Swope, I think, as you said, you talked about Mo Ali Cox taking his position. Well, that's there's two reasons why. It's it's physical. Uh, Mo Ali Cox just you know right now being the better athlete and and being in better health, and also Mo Ali Cox is the superior blocker. Right, uh, it's right. funny. Moali Cox is, is still a raw football player or was, you know, much like Eric Swope was a former basketball player, but he has really evolved into a very reliable blocker and they're just really thrilled with him as a blocker right now. So he gives them a lot of versatility and he's a key guy right now. He takes Jack Doyle's spot, really, not Ebron. It's really Moali Cox taking his spot mm-hmm. because Jack Doyle was the was sort of the, the dual purpose tight end. Well, that guy has to be Mo Ali Cox now. So he's got a big role going forward down the stretch here. Uh, so anyhow, as it relates to your question, I mean, can they do it with these tight ends? I, I think that that Frank Reich, uh, he's got enough versatility in his offense that he can make it work. Uh, is it ideal? No, but I think they can make it work. I mean, they, they can still – they have enough versatility with these three tight ends that they can still do all they like to do with their tight ends. They, it's all still on the table for them. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they lose anything that way. He may just have fewer options. Maybe he likes uh, one guy better than another for a certain type of play or call, that kind of thing. So you may lose some options that way. But in terms of wanting to do the things that they do with their tight ends, all of that's still on the table for them with the group that they have. Mm-hmm. And uh, real quick before we head back uh, to, I want to talk more a little bit more about Frank Reich and what he's going to be facing coming up here. But 
Uh, I, I just found it really gratifying, I guess, to see guys like Al-Qadim Mohammed, uh, you know, uh, the mixture of Ture, mm-hmm. Sheard, Marcus Hunt, all, all these guys that are up front here. Tyquan Lewis especially, you definitely see what he's going to offer uh, in the future. It, this is a, a fun group to look at right now. And I don't think that when Al-Qadim Mohammed came in that anybody thought he was going to be as um, – as much of a production type guy uh, as he is. And I, and I guess in this sense, I'm just meaning production in terms of uh, snaps, but he has been a guy. uh, All of these guys have really worked really well and gelled well together. And I think that is something and another kind of feather you can put in Matt Eberflus's hat to not only getting some of the guys that he inherited in this system, but the guys that have come in via Ballard, you know, moving around some pieces and, and put and plugging them in and making this front seven a real decent squad. I mean, it, this is not what people expected out of this group coming into this season. No, it, it really isn't. And But the one thing I'd say is, I felt like on paper in the offseason, I felt on paper that the defensive line could be the deepest unit on this team. Mm -hmm. And I think before the injuries hit, maybe you could argue it was tight end, and and maybe it was. But but certainly the choice is tight end or defensive line. It really has lived up to that depth uh, projection, I I would say. The one thing I, I would add is that uh, it really is a by committee group. Now you're starting to see guys like Janiko uh, Autry, for mm-hmm. example, uh, become individual standouts. And I and I also have to shout out uh, uh, Jabal Sheard, who has quietly all year long, I think, been very very steady as a as a productive guy against the run. Very productive. I agree. And and also uh, quietly as a pass rusher, maybe not in terms of sack numbers. But pressures, he has been very consistent. By the way, uh, Jabal Sheard and I believe uh, Marcus Hunt are tied uh, for, uh, I think, with 13 tackles for losses each. And that they're both top 10 in the NFL mm-hmm. league-wide, by yeah. the way. So uh, they're getting the job done. But, but it really is a group that the Colts felt strong about coming into the season, and it's lived up to it. And, and it's funny, as I said, they're not doing it. They don't have a Demarcus Lawrence on this group, right? I mean, they don't have, you know, sort of that that primo guy when you turn on the tape, you're like, okay, we're doubling that guy because he's a monster. They don't have any – they don't have a guy like that. They're doing this by committee. But you mentioned al Quddin Muhammad. <laughs> Listen, I'll be honest. I didn't know anything about this guy when he got here. <laughs> I, 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 had, I had to go watch tape of him. I literally went and watched tape, and I was like, you know what? I think I like this guy. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I had zero impression about him until that day. And I watched it, and I said, you know, he moves pretty good. He's got some quickness. I mean, I could see him making a play or two. And then he goes out there, and now he's playing like 30 snaps a game. I mean, it's crazy. It is. Uh, so it really has been an evolution for him. But remember, uh, that happened after after uh, Jihad Ward went down. Remember, Jihad Ward was was starting to really come on, and then he had that really severe ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's still they still have his rights, and he's uh, he's been rehabbing every day and, and getting better and better by the day. But my point is, uh, it's been really a by committee approach, and uh, as you you mentioned, Al Quddin Muhammad is just such a great example of one guy, you know, seizing an opportunity. 
but they all have their roles and they all take turns kind of shining on that defensive line. Uh, that I think is, is talent starting to show through, but it's also, again, it goes back to, I think, coaching and giving guys opportunities who earn the opportunities, you know, and, and they have to then do their part and they are. Yep. And, you know, you, you kind of look at some of these guys that have gone down uh, this year and even a guy like Carol Phillips, you know, that he didn't get a lot of time and it would just seem like he fit right in though when he did come in. So I, I think there's a lot of credit that needs to be given to Matt Everflus. You know, the, the, the Colts aren't a top five defense, you know, overall necessarily, but they are a very competitive group. They do turn the ball over. They're tough against the run. As you mentioned, I, I wrote something about them uh, last uh, this earlier this week, actually, about how impressive they've been with their tackles for loss and how many they've got. I think they're in the mid-60s right now with – or even higher than that because they had like almost 12 tackles for loss last week, 11 and a half if I'm not mistaken. I mean that's Right. I mean they're they're number 2 in the league on the season. I mean it's impressive. It is is crazy. Uh so that side of the ball is very fun to watch right now uh just in general. And now you look at what Frank Reich has in front of him. He's got the Dallas Cowboys who and let's just look at the whole the, the last three here just kind of as a whole for just a second. Dallas Cowboys, the New York Giants, and the Tennessee Titans. If, what, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, you look at these three and you think the Colts are going to run the table on this on these three. But the Cowboys have been playing better than they have all year. The New York Giants are considerably better than they played in the first half of the season. And the Tennessee Titans are very here and there. I mean, there's really no take on them. You never know what you're going to get with them. Uh, but this is not the way, and this is not uh, the – uh, output from these teams that I don't think that anybody expected at the beginning of the season midway through or the halfway point in the season. So this is Frank Reich's biggest challenge here. He's got to go up against two good or a good defense. He's going to have to find a way to get them to stop, you know, through Matt Everflus in this defense to stop uh, New York Giants offense who has been actually putting some points up lately so there's a lot on Frank Reich's table right now, and he is in the thick of the AFC wild card hunt. He is going to have to put best his or he's going to have to put forward his best three games, I think, of the season in here to win out. Because look, the Titans, it doesn't matter if uh, the, you know the Colts just don't blow teams out like that very often. So we can count the almost count that out. That's not going to happen again. When you have a divisional game in there, you've got two good teams who are on the rise in terms of where they were, like I said, six, seven weeks ago. This is going to be a tall task to finish the season 10-6. and six. And I think – I just don't think that the Colts can be in the playoffs if they don't go 10-6. and six. Yeah. This will – these three games will – tell us a lot about this team mm -hmm. it, if they can run the table then I think we know this team has the mental fortitude to do just about anything we know that this is a team that can go in the playoffs if they if, if they win these next three this is a team that I say can go in the playoffs and they can win a game yep and and be a very dangerous team I was just gonna because, say that they'll be considered one of, like nationally they'll be one of the considered one of the most dangerous teams in the playoffs simply because they're an underdog. Right, exactly. But but an underdog that is on a hell of a streak, right? right. I mean, they, if they go 10-6, and six, that means 
what they would have won nine like, other you know nine of ten or something like that Wait, right what so is that? What is i that? mean One, you know two, well, that two. stacks up against anybody okay <laughs> like literally anybody in the nfl yeah and so so now here's the thing. So so Frank Reich, okay, one thing he has done is he's gotten them to believe, okay, think about this now. Let's we talked about the run that they've been on, but but let's not forget one in five is a very dark place. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> one yeah. in five, man. I mean, that is a lonely, lonely place. And he got this team to stay the course and it was almost frustrating at times where, you know, you'd, you'd ask Frank, right, hey, are you going to try this? Are you going to do this? Are, you know, are you going to shake things up? What are you going to do? And he'd say, no, we're just going to stay, you know, we're going to stay the course. Hmm. We're going to do what we've been doing. And on the one hand, you'd be like, man, this guy's crazy. <laughs> on the other hand, you realize that's exactly what they needed to do, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so here, so here they are now with an opportunity you know, to, to do something special. And I think they have the right guy in charge. He has gotten them to understand the value of staying the course and just continuing to do what works and believing in, in what you do. And it, it's really, it's a culture. It really boils down to that being, that becoming cultural and understanding this is not about, you know, getting, uh, you know, sidetracked you know, when things don't go well the coach players look to the coach and they take their cues from him and if the coach stays the course and he's got a stiff chin you know when a stiff upper lip you know when bad times come the players are going to feed off of that mm-hmm. and i think that's what's really happening so now this is a time where that becomes really valuable that ability of frank Reich to to really just kind of be steady and and calm in the middle of the storm, that's where this is going to really, I think, show up. And his team has got to feed off that, and they have. That's the reason they're here. So I I think they got the right man to lead them at a time like this, and it's going to be a real test. It's going to teach us a lot about this team. Mm -hmm. I agree. And two out of of these three uh, are home games, so this is is something where you – you have to expect the Colts really to take advantage of every possible advantage they've got in any of these games. You know, they've got the superior offense, in my opinion, the Colts do, even though they have a lack of playmakers. Uh, they have, I think, Dallas's potential is is greater because they've got more playmakers. Uh, so you 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 run into that. But and you've got on the other side of the ball for them, you've got the more spread out, higher uh, amount of talent. But it just, I, I just don't. I, I fail to see that the Cowboys are a better team. That if they played ten times, that the Colts wouldn't win six or seven of those. You know, so I think, and, and I think that they could win a couple of them handily. To be quite honest with you, with Andrew Luck behind center, so <clears throat> it, it just it makes you wonder. There, 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 there is a very good uh, opportunity here for them to win out. If they don't, they're in a real pickle, I think, in terms of playoff berth uh, potential. But, man, you just I, – I don't think that any Colts fan right now looks at this team and looks at this head coach and looks at this GM and doesn't think, we are going to be pretty damn good pretty quick, regardless of playoff uh, potential this year. So this is one of the most exciting things, I think, for Indianapolis Colts fans 
going into not only the postseason here, but looking ahead and all the potential that they've got, you have to feel after years of feeling like they were never going to get on the right track and that a a simple hire of a GM, a simple hire of a new head coach, all that stuff seemed like such a process and you're seeing instant results almost. And it just really makes, it just really surrounds the team and the fan base in my opinion. And this is a really exciting final stretch to the season for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know, I'm excited. I mean, I, I think, as a reporter, for example, I mean, you want to, uh, you want to cover and and write about and and be involved in situations that are meaningful, right? And right. these games are meaningful. It's as meaningful as it gets. Now, even if the Colts lose this game, I also want to impress upon people. I mean, look, it, it certainly is a massive blow to the playoff hopes, obviously, but uh, I, I think. The bigger picture, and you just hit on this, the bigger picture should not be uh, – we shouldn't lose sight of the bigger picture, mm-hmm. even if they lose this Cowboys game. Uh, I mean, the fact that they're in the position they're in, I think this this season was never about winning this season, you know, winning big. It was about getting on the right track, right? right? right. <laughs> so they're, they're on the right track. That has been made clear weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the question now is only, well, how far can they take this? But, but in terms of what the theme and what the goal of this season was, they've already checked that box. Mm-hmm. That really was about getting on the right path. Well, they're on the right path, and now it's just a matter of maximizing it and, and taking it. You know, they're, they're playing with house money at this point mm-hmm. and just trying to see how far they can take this thing. Uh, but, but don't, don't lose sight of the, the future here, the, the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is they're a team – with an exceedingly bright future and a team with all kinds of potential to improve in this coming off season. So I'd be thinking, I, I wouldn't be bummed out necessarily if they lose this game as a fan. I think you look, you're going to be upset. You're going to be disappointed clearly, but, but the point is this in terms of what we were really hoping for this season. Oh, they've accomplished that and more. And, and they've got a chance to, to even do more than that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the the Cowboys come in at eight and five right now uh, after an overtime win over the Eagles. And, you know, folks, it, it just really makes you feel if the Colts can get themselves up to eight and six with this win, that it, it's an exciting time. And, and like you said, the bigger picture is the uh, the ideal route to really be thinking about this. Be hopeful that the Colts can get themselves into the postseason because they will and should be considered one of the most dangerous teams. You'll, I mean, they will have won a. I mean, I can't. They cannot get into the postseason without winning at least two of these. So they're going to have to win at least eight of their net. You know, of their last ten games, and that is something that will be spread around nationally on every channel. They will be talking about Andrew Luck. They'll be talking about the defense forcing turnovers, and they'll be talking about the offensive line. Those are things that they have continued to harp on all year. The The Colts need the running game to show up, and they need to be able to make some big plays uh, defensively as well. And they need to make a few of them, in my opinion, and just maintain everything that they have continued to do. So this is a really exciting time, honestly, for Colts fans. I think it's a really exciting time for the team, the franchise, the city, everything. So I, I'm excited for this game. I'm excited for their final three. And uh, it, it looks like it's going to be a really nice end of the season here because the AFC wildcard 
the the race actually is, is really interesting to watch in itself. You know, you've got teams kind of like, uh, you know, Denver or, or Baltimore or just some of these other teams that are right there in the hunt, and you see them kind of rising and falling too. So you see with, that the Colts have a real shot at making this wild card berth. So uh, it, it's going to be a great time. Uh, Steven, thank you again for joining me tonight, my man. Uh, looking forward to this game. Hopefully the Colts can pull one out here. Do you have any uh, – what, what would be your prediction for this game? So – I'm going to go with the Colts, but, uh, you know, <laughs> do I feel great about it? <laughs> Maybe not, but, but I mean, look, I, I, I think the fact that they're at home uh, does, I think, make a difference. I, I, I do think there may be a few too many Cowboys fans in the building. I do uh, worry about that, but, but I do think that being at home gives them a little bit of an edge. Uh, I, I mentioned the the Eberflus factor it's it's probably not the deciding factor but I think it helps and and it's I think it's a close game I think it's a close matchup uh, uh, two teams that match up well so in games like that the little things matter so you're talking home court excuse me home field mm-hmm. you're talking about you know any sort of advantage in terms of scouting which they have so I think those little things like that and then and then the big one. They have the quarterback advantage, and in this league, I mean that's fifty percent of it sometimes, right? Yep. So you you put all that together, and I really do think uh, I, I got to go with the Colts. Uh, now, some of the Cowboys' recent games are just really impressive, and you know the, the Saints win comes to mind, and I'm like, man, there's something going on there. It's legitimate, right? Like mm-hmm. they're not they're not a flash in the pan. This team's legitimate, but. But the Colts are as well, and I think this streak they've been on, they got their confidence back in Houston. Had they lost the Houston game, I'd feel differently. But I think they have – I think momentum's a real thing, and I think they have some of it now, and I I think this team understands the stakes. So I'm going with the Colts. I think it's a close one. I think it's sort of a a similar game to last week. I think it's a a, a 24-23 type of game. I think it's going to come down to – who has the ball last and who makes a play, who gets a stop at the end. It's going to be one of those types of games, a one-possession game, I feel like. I, I am in very much in the same boat as you, and uh, I, I look at the way that they've played on the road, and I look at the way that the Colts have been playing at home. And the Colts have been uh, killing it, you know, for a lack of better words, uh, at home they've been scoring on their last five home games they've scored 33 points a game and the Cowboys have been pretty bad on the road I mean they have what uh let's see two games that all year on the road that they've scored more than 20 points on the road and that was Philly in week 10 and Atlanta in week 11 with 22 points and everything else is teens and single digits I do not trust the 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 Cowboys on the road I think the Colts should, as long as the Colts can come out hot and not stall for the first half, uh, first quarter of the game, I think I'm I'm going to give them a full touchdown here. I mean, this is ridiculous sounding, uh, probably, but the Cowboys have legitimately played like crap on the road, you know, in, in this this year. So I, I've just, I mean, they lost their first three on the road. Sorry, their first four on the road, and then they won two. That's it. That's what they've done. And their last two road games were in weeks ten and eleven. So I think going with three straight home games here, 
uh, for the Cowboys and then going on the road again. This is a different change or, you know, a, a change of scenery, and I don't think it benefits them. So I'm going with the Colts by a full touchdown. I'm going to say 34-27 uh, here. And I, I think that that's even a little rich, honestly, for the uh, for the Cowboys there. So, I, you know what, and let me change that. I'm going to go 27-20 because I don't think the Cowboys are going to score that much, but I don't think the Colts necessarily are going <laughs> to put up 34 either. So uh, I'm going to give right. the Colts a full touchdown in this one. So uh, let, let's hope that they can pull through. It should be a, a really fun game to watch. So uh, once again, Stephen, thank you for, for joining me on the show, man. It's always a good time. Uh, appreciate you being on. All right, hey, man, no problem. Thanks for having me. I think you got we, we got one of the uh, – Biggest games and one of the most attractive games on the schedule this week, so I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, I agree. Make sure that you guys are all getting to uh, the podcast on iTunes, rating and reviewing it. Uh, we've got a lot of good shows for you guys on there. So, I mean, Steven and I both have shows. Chris Blystone has been doing the Dark Horses where he's doing the playoff picture. Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff with the Colts film room on there as well. Some of the recaps from the, our, uh, from the teams that the Colts will be playing in the future, their past week's games, all that good stuff. Make sure you guys are checking out Stampede Blue for all your Indianapolis Colts news and analysis. And check out Steven's work there on The Athletic as well. So, thank you guys all for joining us here on the show. And we'll talk to you next time. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? 
Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our solo acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.